mentioned that we are going to do membership class in a couple weeks and that I'm going to be leading that. I'm going to continue that for a while. Just gives me an opportunity as your lead pastor for those of you that may be considering membership to personally answer any questions that you have. And I like to say it this way, uh, you know, by taking the class, you're not committing yourself. There's actually another step to becoming a member. But if you've ever thought about it or you've considered it, this is a great way to get those questions answered. So if you're considering it, take the class, and then you can prayerfully decide whether you want to continue with the next step. I do want to say thank you to Reverend uh, Jarrell Gilliam from Light of Life for being here two weeks ago and bringing not only a significant but a very biblical and powerful word to us in, in response to homelessness in our city. I'm so grateful for his leadership in our city and that of Light of Life. And then for Pastor Rock last weekend, a very significant and important word that we need to continually keep in front of us about following the Spirit's leading and being people that are led by the Spirit and not led by the flesh. He mentioned it at the beginning of his message, and I wanted to follow up to let you know that Friday he and I did sit down and we recorded about a 35-minute video that is a follow-up to that message that practically answers the question, so how do you hear God's voice? How do you practically follow the Spirit's leading? Uh, we often get asked that as pastors, and so it'll be released later this week on YouTube and website and other digital avenues, so I'm excited for you to look at that. Let's pray together before we open God's Word. Father, we have worshipped you in song and in giving, and now we open your word, which is alive. You tell us that it's, it's like a sword that cuts between bone and marrow and penetrates deep, and it teaches us, it edifies us, it corrects us. So whatever you need to do in us through your word, I ask that you would do that today. Um, as the one chosen to, to teach from your word and speak your word today, I ask that you would anoint these lips. Um, just clean our ears and uh, our eyes from seeing you and hearing you in a correct way. Uh, may nothing I say just stand in the way of what you want to do. In the name of Jesus Christ, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Every so often, I enjoy when I get to have, have lunch with folks in our fellowship and our congregation, and I did so this Friday afternoon. I'm not going to mention his name. If I did, many of you would know it, but many of you wouldn't. Uh, and same thing when I tell you his story. But on Friday afternoon, we were having lunch together, and this gentleman serves here at ACAC. He's attended for quite some time. Uh, even if I put his picture on the screen, you may recognize him because he serves as a greeter. And he is one of these guys that um, every time he greets me, he has a smile on his face. And he just has such a humble spirit, a joyful spirit. 
And he's one of these individuals that, um, I, to be honest, I get irritated with occasionally because they're always in a good mood. You didn't have anybody like that. Like you just go, do you ever have a bad day? Because they're just always so positive and they're filled with the joy of the Lord. And I'm joking there, but that's the, the spirit and the temperament of this individual. And I knew a little bit about him, but I got to hear his story as we had lunch together. And he told me that he had been married, I believe, 40 years or it's either just over or just under 40 years. But two years into his marriage, his wife was diagnosed with depression and schizophrenia. And for the last 40 years, he, have, he has loved her, he has served her, and they have walked that together. And it dawned on me as I was praying and preparing to preach on a very familiar passage in James about us going through trials, that this man has lived that. And I also recognized that the spiritual maturity that I saw in him, that this joy was an endurance that was produced from those trials. And that's what we're going to look at today. This book of James that we're going to start the next five weeks. We're going to go through it and, and we're going to hit this chapter by chapter. So this isn't going to be a, a text by text. It would take us obviously much longer than that. But I am going to give you a homework assignment. Uh, I, I love and I think it's important that, that you read along as I teach this. And so here's your homework assignment. This week I would encourage you to read chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're going to look at chapter 1 today and then next weekend we will look at chapter 2. So um, find time this week to do that. But looking at an overview of James, James, this author of this letter, desires followers of Jesus to take the faith that they have in their mind, this faith that they have in their heart, in their, in their spirit, to take this faith they have on the inside and to display it outwardly to the world around them. It's a very practical faith that he writes about. It is a faith at work, if you will. And to lay the foundation for this New Testament book, we do need to understand a few things about the background and context of this letter. And I would encourage you, many of you do this, many of you know this, but just so we're all on the same page and none of us are missing this, as you read through God's word, when you start a new book of the Bible, it's really important to understand who wrote it. It's, under, it's important to understand why they wrote it. Who were they writing to and what's the context there? So uh, because of that, let me break this down just a little bit. When you start at chapter 1, verse 1, right away, he tells us who is it from. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's talk about who James is. Now, in the New Testament, there are about four or five people, men named James in the Bible, uh, there's two disciples named James. You need to know that this is not one of the original 12. We're going to talk about that. And without going into all the details on that, while there are other James mentioned in the Bible, this particular James, most biblical scholars recognize as the half-brother of Jesus. Now, you know the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph were betrothed and the Holy Spirit conceives in Mary, she was a virgin, conceives in her Jesus, and they have Jesus. After Jesus is born, born, the Bible does tell us that Mary and Joseph had other children. They had, Jesus had half-brothers, as I would like to say. And those half-brothers did not follow Jesus. You could say even that they did not believe in Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. John chapter 7 verse 5 says this, for even his brothers, speaking of Jesus' brothers, didn't believe him. Now, I have two brothers. They're both younger. How many of you have brothers? And how many of you recognize that if your brother came to you and declared himself as the son of God, 
exactly. That would be your response. And if they were your younger brothers like mine, you'd grab them. Okay, and, you know, the Bible doesn't give us, I wish the Gospels gave us a lot more detail about what the home life was like with Mary and Joseph and brothers. But remember, Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. So on the man's side, you have to imagine that there was some rivalry, there was some competition. I know there is in my family, you know, whenever we're playing a card game, I mean, things can go sideways quick because of how competitive we are. And I'd also like to think that the God side of Jesus, he probably won all of those competitions. Would you stop being God? But anyway, I digress. They didn't believe Jesus. And you can understand as, as in a brotherly relationship why. So the Gospels tell us that they didn't, they didn't believe him. They didn't follow him. Um, however, in 1 Corinthians, in Paul's letter, he tells us that after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, one of the very first people that he appears to is his half-brother, James. Can you imagine that encounter? Well, James, all of a sudden, though he didn't believe before the resurrection, the Bible tells us that he became a follower of Jesus. In fact, I think that is one of the greatest arguments about the reality of Jesus and why we should believe in him. I mean, if his half-brother calls himself in the first verse a slave or a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think we should take him seriously. So James ends up... Believing and following. He moves from not believing to his brother to eventually writing a letter declaring himself as a servant or slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he also became a respected leader in the early church, especially among Jewish Christians. He was really the pastor of that church in Jerusalem. He was known as James the Just because growing up Jewish and being Jewish and writing to the Jewish community, he did respect and honor the law. He was very passionate about prayer. But what qualified James to serve in such such a capacity in leadership in the early church What qualified James to write a letter that would eventually be included in our Bible was not his physical relationship to Jesus. It was his spiritual relationship. We learn from history that James was eventually martyred in the year 62 AD when he was stoned to death by the Pharisees for refusing to announce his commitment to his half-brother Jesus. Now, right away, we saw James makes it pretty clear on what type of writing this is. James is writing a letter. This isn't a narrative. It's not a short story. It's not a historical account of a particular time period in Israel's history. This also isn't a theological thesis or essay like the, like the first 11 chapters of Romans. He is writing a, a pastoral exhortation, if you will. This is the pastor of Jerusalem that's writing a letter to the Jewish people that he was serving. And he tells us that from this letter, if we look at James 1, 1, that he's a slave of God and Lord Jesus Christ, he tells us immediately who he's writing to. He's writing to the 12 tribes And he's writing specifically Jewish believers who are scattered abroad. And then he says, greetings, hello. Now, just a little theological insight. The Greek word here for greetings is waza. (laughs) It's my Super Bowl commercial joke for the day. Anyway. He's writing to Jewish believers scattered abroad. So this letter from this pastor in Jerusalem is written specifically to the Jewish people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. 
These are Jesus followers who have to, ha- happen to be of Jewish descent, and he tells us that they're scattered abroad. So why were they scattered abroad? Well, the Jewish leaders of that day and the other Jewish people who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah were persecuting. Uh, James goes into his letter later. They were, they were even uh, robbing and causing Jewish followers to be poor, and they were fleeing and scattering. They were dispersed outside of Israel. So that's who James is writing this letter to. It was most likely written in the mid-40s, 40 A.D., uh, perhaps slightly before the Jerusalem Council. The book of Acts tells us a little bit about James, where um, there was a decision, an important decision for Gentiles made at the Jerusalem Council. Most likely this writ- letter was written right before that, making it one of the oldest letters that we have in our New Testament. And right away, unlike uh, Peter, even Paul, in their letters in the New Testament, what happens is, you know, when they say, hey, I'm writing this letter, and to who I'm writing to, they often mention people either at the church where they were writing or people that had helped them. They give praise and honor and glory to God. James doesn't do any of those things. He tells you who he's writing the letter, uh, who wrote the letter, and who he's writing to, and then he, bam, goes right into his message to these Jewish Jesus followers that are scattered abroad. And he launches, as he launches into this pastoral ex- exhortation, he addresses a very serious and a very common question for Jesus followers, not only then, but for us today. And here's the question he immediately addresses Why does God allow his people to suffer? Have you ever wondered that? Of course, we all have. In a letter that serves as a practical guide, to living out our faith, it's no surprise then that James would immediately address a question that every person of faith must wrestle with. So here's our text for today. Let's look at it. You've already seen part of it. James chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 2 through 4. James writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested... Your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now let's pause for just a moment at those first words when he says, Dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, dear church, when troubles of any kind come your way. How many notice immediately James does not say, Dear brothers and Christians, Brothers and sisters, dear ACAC, if troubles come your way, when? He is telling us right up front, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, Christians, ACAC, you can expect there to be problems. You can expect to encounter trials. You can expect to encounter suffering. He clearly communicates that we as Christ followers should expect to experience trouble. Many people, when they decide to follow Jesus, they want to sign up for the prosperity plan, not the persecution plan. Jesus does not lay out a prosperity plan for us. The abundant life that Jesus provides has nothing to do with a trouble-free life, but rather his joy and peace sustaining us in the midst of trials. Jesus, in John, 
does not say here on earth you will experience a full bank account, a great car, a great wardrobe, a big house, no problem with your kids, promotions. Jesus does not say that. Jesus says here on earth you will experience problems, troubles, trials. So any pastor or preacher that you see telling you if you follow Jesus, he's going to give you this, give you that, give you that, is not preaching the gospel. You know why they preach that? Because they don't get as many amens as we just saw. (laughs) It's not a popular message. It doesn't fill the sanctuary. But it's true. Jesus said here on earth you will experience trials. And James reinforces that and says, if you follow Jesus, I'm just letting you know right away, you're going to experience difficulty. Some often think that suffering and trouble that we encounter and face is outside of God's plan, rather than recognizing it is actually an important part of the Christian life. And here's James' major point. If I was going to sum this down into uh, one sentence or sum it up into one sentence of this first chapter, it's this. Enduring faith leads Jesus' followers to spiritual maturity. A faith that is strong enough to endure and, and stay and remain through trials and tribulation will lead you and I, people who follow Jesus, into spiritual maturity. Do you want to grow to be a mature Christian? Of course you do. What will do it? Having a faith that sustains through things, going through things you don't like to go through. So how do we live out an enduring faith amidst difficulty? I believe James gives us four practical steps in this first chapter of his letter. Here's the first. One, we need to recognize what's happening. We need to recognize what's going on when we run into a difficult situation. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. Why? For you know... When your faith is tested, when you go through trials, when something comes into your life that calls into question everything you believe, here's what happens. Your endurance has a chance to grow. We have an opportunity for our endurance to grow in the midst of trials. James says that we are to take joy in difficulty. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not calling us to a fake, phony, hyper-spiritual smile on our face that when trouble comes, well, praise God, God works all things together for good who love him. I'm just so happy to be going through this. How many just want to smack somebody like that? It's not real. So what's he talking about? What kind of joy? It's a joy in knowing what God is going to do in you or what God wants to do in you as you go through it. It's an understanding, okay, I'm going through this, but God is going to work in me a faith that is going to sustain me and endure, help me endure difficult times. The testing of difficulty can produce or should produce in us an enduring faith. Faith needs the pushback of trial for us to grow spiritually. It's like lifting weights. Now I know standing before you, I'm a great physical specimen on lifting weights. Don't say anything, honey. 
Now, we understand this in the physical realm. Those of you who lift weights and spend a lot of time, it's, it's resistance. Why do you do that? Why is there resistance? Because though it hurts, you know your muscles are growing stronger. You will be able to lift more and endure more. We understand that in a physical sense, but when it comes to spiritual things, we go, duh, what, what, what? And the same is true in the physical sense. We endure things, we experience things, and God is developing our spiritual muscles. So one, we need to recognize what's happening when we go through trials. Two, we need to cooperate. We need to cooperate with God's growth process. James says, let it grow. When you experience trial, understand, recognize what it is, and then let your endurance grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, when your spiritual muscles are fully developed, you will then be perfect and complete. Let's talk about what that means to be perfect and complete. Pastor Rock actually mentioned this last week when he talked about Jesus saying, be perfect as I am perfect. And he, he told us, he's not talking about being sinless. That's obviously impossible. None of us will ever live in this life where we are without sin. But that word perfect, it's the same word here that Jesus used. It's the same word here that James is using. And it's a matter of wholeness. It's a matter of completeness. It's a matter of spiritual maturity. And James is telling us that when we go through trials, you want to be like Jesus. You want to be perfect as he is perfect. You want to be whole as he is whole. You want to be spiritually mature. God, help me grow in my faith. Okay, get ready because you're going to have trials. Because that is what is going to develop your endurance that leads to you being perfect, complete, whole, and spiritually mature. Jesus loves us. God loves us. And trials, whether you like it or not, are going to happen, James tells us. But we need to remember that he's our heavenly father. He's not our heavenly Santa Claus. Those of you that are dads, those of you that are moms, you understand in raising kids. You don't want to raise an immature child. So you don't give them everything that they want. Some could argue we live in a society that does, which is raising spoiled kids. But think of it with your own children. They don't like all of the decisions that you make. You tell them to go to bed early. You tell them what to eat. You put boundaries and parameters. They experience and go through difficulty. And you allow that to happen because you want them to grow up to be spiritually mature adults. In the heavenly sense... God wants us to experience things so that we grow up to be spiritually mature Christ followers. I was a man up last year, and um, my son was with me, and I don't remember who the, who the speaker was, his name specifically, but he said a powerful statement. He said, Dads, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your son is the gift of struggle. Why? Because our kids need to learn at a young age how to struggle and how to endure because it develops them. One of the greatest gifts that God gives us as his sons, as his daughters, is the gift of struggle. We often pray, Jesus, I want everything that you have for me. <laughs> Jesus, I want to be just like you. Do you recognize that oftentimes the trials we go through are the answers to our very own prayers? We pray, Lord, would you give me strength? Okay. 
here you go. And then we question and we wonder, God puts us in a scenario then where our faith, our spiritual muscles are going to be worked so that at the end of the day when we have endured, we are spiritually strong. Some of you older saints know (laughs) one of the most dangerous prayers you can pray is, Lord, give me patience. I would, as your pastor, would not recommend you praying for patience. (laughs) It's one I avoid. Because what happens? Lord, give me patience. Okay, here you go. And he's going to put you in a circumstance that you are going to learn how to be patient. We pray, God, I just want to be used by you in such a mighty way. Okay. He is going to put us in a circumstance where all of those things that are hidden on the inside, all of those things that hold us back from being used like God wants to use us are going to get worked out. Sometimes our trials and our struggles are the very answered prayers that we have prayed for. James tells us it's our trials that lead us to endurance. And it's our endurance that leads us to spiritual maturity. Often the brightest moments in our life are a result of the darkest seasons in our life. Me being lead pastor, I've shared it before, I won't go into it, is one of those. One of the greatest joys of my life of pastoring this church came out of one of the darkest seasons. For some of you that have been in the faith for a long time, you look back and you see that to be the case. Trials, endurance leads to spiritual maturity. Here's the third one. We need to ask God for help. And that's kind of a no-brainer, like, well, duh, that's pretty easy. I could have came up with that one. But think about how often when we hit a trial, when we get slapped in the face with difficulty or an unexpected suffering moment, asking God's kind of the last resort. You know, we're gonna, what's a good book on this subject? Uh, I'm going to complain about it. Uh, I'm going to reach out to, I'm going to phone a friend and find out what I can do. And we, we do all of these things. And not that those things don't help or they're, or they're not a part of God's process but, the process, but the very first thing should be we ask God for help. We ask God for help. And James tells us exactly how to do that in verse 5. He says, if you need wisdom, when trial comes and you need wisdom, ask. Ask a generous God and he will give it to you. He's not going to rebuke you for asking. After encouraging us to embrace trials for the potential that they have in our spiritual development, James extorts us, exhorts us rather, to pray for the wisdom. (laughs) That may be worse than preaching in prosperity, God, so I don't know. James is not, anyway. I need more coffee this morning. (laughs) He exhorts us to pray for the wisdom needed to navigate those trials. And God's willing. He's ready to help us, to give give us the wisdom that's needed to make it through. And here's what our prayer, if I can encourage you this. Our prayers should be, as we go through trials, our prayers should not be, God, would you remove this from my life? God, would you just take this storm out of here? God, I know you spoke to the winds and the waves. You can do it again and remove it. Would a better prayer not be, God, I'm in the middle of the storm. What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to develop in me? Am I missing something? Is there something in the midst of this? No, I don't like it. I want it to end. God, I wish you would remove it. 
But if this is the path that you have put me on, if this is the journey you have put me on, because there is something deep inside of me that you want to develop, and God, I submit to your will, and I pray that its work would be done in my life. That is a far better prayer. Here's the last one. We need to keep a good attitude as we go through difficulty. Attitude is our key. And what drives our attitude is our faith in God. Our faith in knowing who he is and that he is a father that we can trust. When all seems impossible, I know who God is. I recognize what this moment is. That yes, he is going to give me wisdom. He is going to be with me. There is a peace that is available. There is a strength that is available. So in the midst of that, I can have a good attitude. James even says in verse 12 that God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Friend, follower of Jesus, if you're here today and you're going through a trial, you need to know that there is not only wisdom that is available to you, that God says, he promises, he will bless you in the midst of the storm. And it's why my friend for 40 years can serve his wife. And put a smile on his face. Because he understands what God's doing. And God blesses him in the midst of it. And his attitude is good. Doesn't mean he likes it. Doesn't mean there aren't hard moments. But he recognizes what God's doing. And he knows God's with him. God will bless us. Not only give us wisdom. And doing faith needs, leads to Jesus' followers growing in spiritual maturity. I want to end with this. As I was just really meditating on this, it's a familiar passage, but as again, Pastor Rock said, it's often familiarity that causes us to forget spiritual truth. I want to talk about church hurt. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but my guess is probably 90% of the people in this room at some point have been hurt, have experienced church hurt. And what I mean by that could have been a pastor, could have been a staff, could have been a brother and sister in Christ. You've experienced pain within the family of God. And we often say, no, you've never experienced hurt like you have been hurt by the church. <laughs> Some of you, that's the trial that you're going through. There are people that will never walk through these doors because they've been hurt by fellow believers in Christ. Or they've been hurt by a pastor. They've been hurt by the church. People online, probably watching right now, that says, I'll watch online, but I'm never going back because I've been hurt. I can do this on my own. I'm talking to you. I've experienced that. I was reminded again this week, um, James was a Jew. He was raised in a Jewish home. Jesus was raised in a Jewish home. Who is this letter written to? Jewish people. Why were the Jewish followers of Jesus scattered abroad? Because their own people were abusing them persecuting them and didn't believe them and didn't want them around. Talk about church hurt. James experienced it. And he was writing to a people, encouraging them because they had experienced synagogue hurt, <laughs> church hurt. Their own people rejected him. He writes it later. They're poor. They were taken advantage of. Rich Jewish people were making sure that they lived a poor life, so much so they had to leave the country. They were being killed and persecuted and chased after. They were on the run by their own tribe, by their own people. So you're not alone. James experienced it. And by the way, so did his half-brother Jesus. 
It was his own people that betrayed him. And as I was thinking about that and reminding you that you're not alone, God reminded me that just like I may have scars from people in the body of Christ, I too have given scars. None of our hands are clean. We're not alone. And if that's the trial and that's the suffering that you're going through, even in the midst of a deep hurt and betrayal, James says, be joyful. Know that your endurance has a chance to grow because I want to make you into something stronger. Would you stand to your feet this morning? How do we live out a faith in the midst of difficulty? We need to recognize what's happening, cooperate with God's growth process. We need to ask God for help and keep a good attitude. Here's how I want to close. It's a little harder with this service because there's so many people, but I've done it with the last two. And I don't want you to reveal anything personal today. But if you're living, if you feel like you're living James 2 through 4, would you raise your hand? You know what I'm talking about. Just if you would, keep your hand raised. If someone has their hand raised and they're close to you, I want you, I don't want you to ask them anything. I just want you to begin praying for them. Bible calls us to confess to one another to pray. Today we're not confessing, we're just going to pray for one another. I'm going to close this out, but I want us to turn this into a prayer meeting for the next few moments. Again, you don't have to say what's going on, but I want every person who has their hand raised being prayed by someone around them. Would you do that right now? Come on, church family. Just begin to pray. Pray that God would give them joy in the midst of the trial. Pray for their spiritual muscles, that they would be developed strong and they would endure. You don't need to know what's happening. You don't need to know what's going on in their life. God knows. Just begin to pray. Jesus. Come on, church family, pray. Pray like you were the one going through that trial. Pray like it was your spouse. Maybe it is your brother, your sister. Holy Spirit, move in your strength and your power. Reign above it all, you reign above it all. Over the universe and over every arm, there is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Let all of heaven and the earth erupt in song. Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign. Come on, lift your voice. You reign above it all. You reign above it all. Over the universe and over every song. 
There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Let all of heaven and the earth erupt in song. Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign. Lord, you reign above every circumstance. And today we declare and we recognize that even in the most difficult circumstance, that this could be a gift of struggle. This could be something that you have placed us on that you desire to, to work on, to develop our spiritual muscles. So, Lord, I just pray over those that are here today. Again, those that we've prayed for already who are going through difficult times. Those who are watching online that maybe they're here or they're not here because of that trial, that pain. I pray that you would be with them, that you, they would have joy in the midst of that, that there would be a smile that isn't fake or isn't phony, but it, it's a smile knowing that you are blessing them, that you are giving them wisdom, and you're developing an endurance through them. Lord, as we go through this powerful book written by your half-brother named James, I pray that the faith that we have in here would be moved and displayed outside of these four walls. Let it not just be a, a, a series on knowledge where we learn more. Lord, let us display more to the world around us. So begin it now in us, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.